The Power Your Inner Runner podcast series is brought to you by Nike Running and Rebel. I think it's all about variety. Like we were saying, like as an 800 meter runner, I rarely run 800 meters. I don't think I run 800 meters ever in, in training. You're sort of doing an activity together. And yeah, I think it's one of those really great ways to bond with somebody is, is through that running. I think that I am successful now because of what happened to me, not in spite of it. Welcome to the Seize the Yay podcast. Busy and happy are not the same thing. We too rarely question what makes the heart sing. We work, then we rest, but rarely we play and often don't realise there's more than one way. So this is a platform to hear and explore the stories of those who found lives they adore. The good, bad and ugly, the best and worst day will bear all the facets of seizing your yay. I'm Sarah Davidson, or Spoonful of Sarah, a lawyer turned fun entrepreneur who swapped the suits and heels to co-found Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar. Seize the Yay is a series of conversations on finding a life you love and exploring the self-doubt, challenge, joy, and fulfillment along the way. Welcome, everyone, to the very first episode of our Power Your Inner Runner podcast series. I'm so thrilled to be partnering with Nike Running and Rebel to bring you three elite Nike athletes who will help us build our running toolkit. Whether this be your first venture into running or you're seasoned and ready to go further, faster and fresher than ever. If you've been listening since the early days, you'll have witnessed the transformative power of sport in my life with the remarkable conversion from non-runner, or dare I say even anti-runner, to signing up voluntarily for my second half marathon this year and actually looking forward to it. Six transformative months back in 2019 with the incredible team at Nike taught me all about gradually building your distance, warming up and warming down, fueling yourself properly, and crucially, wearing the right gear. I've been revisiting all of those lessons again, turning back to longer runs as a physical, mental and therapy-like outlet during lockdown, which spurred me on to sign up for another 21.1Ks at Melbourne Marathon this year. When that was pushed back to December, we suddenly had some extra time up our sleeves to consult the experts and with just over six weeks to go now, I'm so excited to be able to share them with you thanks to the support and generosity of Rebel and Nike. I was surprised but thrilled to see how many of you in the neighborhood are also on your very own running journey. And thank you all so much to those who submitted questions for our guests. The next three episodes have been split into different themes, focusing on the topics that you want to hear about most. So, as to our very first guest, I'm delighted to have with us the incredible Katrina Bissett, Olympian, Nike athlete and Lifeline ambassador, to help us lay some strong foundations with mindfulness and mindset. If I've learned anything over the past few years, it's that your mind will often give up way before your body will, so getting your head in the game first is absolutely crucial. Katrina found her first successes in running at just six years old, but took a hiatus from the sport to work on her mental health, pursuing studies in architecture at university. When she did resume racing, however, in a very short amount of time, she became the first Australian woman in a decade to break the two-minute barrier and went from strength to strength to race earlier this year in the 800 metres at the Tokyo Olympics. You'll hear all of the details in between from Katrina herself as we cover her pathier first, then her tips and tricks for managing mental health, building speed and navigating the relationship between success and the self. What a cracking first episode to kick off with. I hope you all enjoy. Katrina, welcome to the show. I'm so thrilled to have you here. No, thank you. Thanks for having me. It is so wonderful, especially after having watched you at Tokyo and followed your running journey. My husband is actually a former 400 runner. So when you started training with Peter Fortune, he was like frothing <laughs> and getting really excited. So <laughs> I'm fangirling right oh, that's now. That's <laughs> awesome. No, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, we are covering mindfulness and mindset today, particularly because even having, you know, you broke a 43-year-old record in 2019. It's so easy to assume that that trajectory was really smooth or really clear, but I know you've taken a few breaks from running and come back to it and come back to love it and with a fresh perspective. So particularly for anyone who's like a fearful runner, a reluctant runner, or, a, you know, either the brand newbie runner who's a bit scared of coming into it and who doesn't understand why people fall mm. in love with it, or for 
maybe the experienced runner who has lost the love and wants to get that back. I think you're such a wonderful guest to have on today. So I'm so excited to, to dive into that. But just a couple of questions to kind of set the landscape. Where do you sit in the running world? Talk us through like your favorite distances. Obviously in the in the Olympics, you were an 800 runner, but have you always liked the track as opposed to long distance? And what what's your favorite kind of run to do? No, so my favorite... My favorite event is definitely the 800 meters, but yeah, the 400 I'd say is the one that I enjoy running the most. I'm definitely more of a sprint based 800 meter runner. Yeah. So the the 800 meters is a really cool event in that it's sort of sits in the middle of sprinting and distance running. So it's like a sprint endurance event, or I call it like a long sprint, (laughs) (laughs) which is how I run it anyway. Just just go as hard as I can pretty much and, and try and die the, you know, the slowest. And yeah, so that's my main, my main focus is the 800, but I'd love to do some, some relays as well in, in the four by 400. So yeah, I'm, I'm a professional athlete. I, I'm currently training for the world champs next year. I've already got a couple of qualifiers. So that's, a, that's a relief. And, and as well as the Commonwealth games next year in Birmingham as well. So yeah, that's sort of where I'm at in terms of favorite run. I mean, like I was saying before with the, the 800 being that really interesting balance between the long and short, like I do do a lot of longer runs in my training program and I have been known to do occasional cross country, but it's not really my, my favorite. No way. Yeah. In the, in the winter. So the, the running season is sort of set up with the summer being our obviously like our racing, our, the track season. And then we have the winter season, which is more of the sort of the like base training and doing a lot longer runs, a lot more strength training and that sort of thing. So in, in the winter, I love doing, I love my Sunday morning long run, like catching up with friends. Yeah. Like I sort of book in sometimes if there's a friend I haven't seen in a while, I'll, I'll sort of do a long run with them and we'll have a solid, you know, hour or so of, of catching up. So yeah, I love those long trail runs. And I mean, Melbourne is yeah, an, an amazing city for for that sort of thing as well. And, and I grew up in Canberra and Canberra is probably the best city I've I've lived in that's f- for, for distance running and trail running and that sort wow. of thing. Just so many beautiful like fire trails and mountains and, and little areas like that to run in Canberra. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. I love how you call 800 meters a sprint. I'm like, that's already long distance. But then on top of that, you already, you also do long distance. But I didn't actually, I've only just heard about the Sunday long run. Like it's such an institution for runners, but I'm fascinated to jump into that because I think a lot of people are starting to plateau in their longer distance runs for speed and pace. And it's fascinating hearing from you guys that even though your event is a short mm. burst, that to increase speed, you have to run lots of different mm. distances. So we'll jump into that. But a- another quick kind of two introductory questions, just for the sceptical runner or the brand newbie runner, what is your favorite part of running if you really had to sell it to someone who was hesitant? And then what's the part that you find the hardest, but how you overcome that to get through and still find the love? Yeah, I I think it's what I was saying before about just that sort of community and the friendships that I've made, I think the biggest mistake a lot of new runners make is doing it all by themselves. Like they think, oh, running is so boring. I'm just by myself. Like (laughs) it's so hard. It's like, I rarely run by myself. I'm like allergic to running alone. I always am finding like a friend to catch up with. And like, yeah, it's, I think it's, it just is that routine, that stability. And I feel like there's nothing, yeah, there's nothing more like stable and comforting in my life than, you know, knowing that I've set up this run the next morning with one of my really good friends. And I know that they're going to be waiting for me there that next morning and I can go to bed and, you know, get all my stuff packed, ready to go. And just that routine is so, yeah, it's just, it's just a really stable part in my life. And I feel like I have some of my best conversations when I'm on those runs. I give my best advice when I'm on those runs. I sometimes compare it to like when you're going on a long drive with a friend and 
you know, you don't, I don't know. I, I sometimes get a bit awkward with eye contact and like, <laughs> it's really nice sometimes to just be, you know, looking ahead. You're sort of confined together in this space and you're sort of doing an activity together. And yeah, I think it's one of those really great ways to bond with somebody is, is through that, through that running. So yeah, that, that's, that's my biggest piece of advice and just creating that little community and sharing that experience with, with, with other people. And yeah, being a professional athlete, it's pretty lonely. So it's one of the core parts of, of how I got back into running and how I, yeah, why I love it so much. That's so interesting that you mentioned the eye contact thing because I actually came across a study recently in the area of, you know, mental health and having difficult conversations, either if you're struggling or someone else is that, the reason why the, you know, therapy conversation Mm. in the car or therapy conversations while you're running, why people can be so much more vulnerable. I think it came up on Are You Okay Day. If you are wanting to ask someone who is struggling, but you're not sure how to do it, that doing a a conversation when you're in the car or running because you're not Mm. looking at each other can actually be a trigger for vulnerability because there's there's some kind of like mental protection where they don't have to look at you in the face. And there's all this scientific research around the fact that people can mm. actually open up a lot yeah. more, which I found so fascinating. I was like, why are car therapy sessions so <laughs> important? But it's because the diffuser of not mm. looking straight at each yeah. other removes a bit of intimacy that allows people to really open up. So that's mm. interesting that running does that too. Yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't know there was research on it. I just know, yeah, definitely like anecdotally. And I think also like doing something with your body like you're not awkwardly fidgeting your hands or you know like that sort of thing it's like and I mean obviously there's those like physical benefits of of doing something of of being active like I think yeah you know you're getting those endorphins and or whatever they say when you're when you're moving your body and it just makes it a lot you get a lot calmer and you're a lot it's just yeah the conversation flows a lot better I mean of course if you're running really really quickly it's <laughs> it's gonna be pretty difficult to hold a really good conversation but when you're when you're running a nice steady pace it's brilliant yeah I'm definitely a great listener when I'm running like I, I can be <laughs> someone else's sounding board I'm not very good at speaking and running unless I'm like basically walking I love people who are like yeah we had this great conversation I'm like how how did you how are you breathing (laughs) and sometimes yeah like I'll have like someone on a bike as well if I'm going for a long run and yeah some of my friends are very chatty and it can be like my own personal podcast sometimes like having that friend on the bike that's a good (laughs) one yeah so if you have like if you don't have any friends that you can run with get someone on a bike and they can go you know you can share that time together in that way that's a great tip one of my best friends and who's also uh, we're kind of training together she's doing the full marathon at Melbourne Marathon she's had Mm -hmm. quite a few of her friends either break up the distance to join her so do Mm -hmm. like five along the way or she's had a lot of her friends and cousins ride alongside her that's a, such a good idea yeah it's 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 definitely handy yeah <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into your what I call your path yay or your way to yay which is how you kind of found your yay in running and I think as I was mentioning before you know Everyone assumes that the pathway to success is linear and when we see you and often through the media perceive your career as lots of highlights and breaking records Mm. and making it to the Olympics, you know, it can be, I think people forget that your challenges, even though they're at an elite level, your challenges in running have a lot of messages for brand new runners or for, Mm. you know, runners who are, are just doing it for leisure that, you know, it's much more relatable than we sort of initially might think. So as you mentioned earlier, you know, you kind of did it backwards, which I love. It's a bit unconventional starting at Little Ats from age six. So talk us through from those very beginnings and then your your hiatus that you had in the middle as well, moving away from running and then how you found the love again. Yeah. So yeah, I started running very young and yeah, it was, it was a huge part of my childhood. I did a lot of running with my parents. Like my, my dad was a distance runner oh, and I have so many fond memories of, of jogging with him around Canberra. <laughs> and, <laughs> and my mom, yeah, she, she was more of the sprinter and she would, 
She taught me how to do, you know, like shot put, like the proper, you know, spinning around the circle oh kind of God, thing. Oh my God, that's yeah, amazing. Yeah, like as like a 10 year old, I was like, the, <laughs> yeah, the, the champion shot putter because I knew how to do this proper technique <laughs> as like a little kid in primary school. So towards the end of high school, I was having a lot of trouble with sort of my body image in all levels of running. There's this sort of misconception that being skinnier, being smaller is is better. It may, will make you a better athlete, yeah. which is completely untrue. Mm. And, and I, but I, I really felt that pressure as a young person that I, yeah, I mean, I didn't have that sort of, you know, management skills at that point to understand these pressures. So I developed an eating disorder sort of around, yeah, 14, 15. And yeah, and really struggled with that for many years. And because I was under fueling and I think, yeah, I was also suffering from anxiety and depression. It's always a bit of a package deal with these with these mental health struggles. It really took a toll on my running and I took a big step back from it mm. as it was, yeah, really, really hurting my mental health. And I think, yeah, the, those pressures to be, to be smaller and, you know, the, the little outfits that you wear, the crop top and the undies and that sort of thing. Like it was, it was really, really tough for, for an adolescent girl, you know, going through puberty and seeing my body change. And like, I would remember looking at photos of myself, like comparing myself year to year and, and just so heavily scrutinizing what my body looked like. And I would just be fixated on food and, it just wasn't a really healthy and safe space for me anymore, athletics. So I focused more on, on uni and stopped being a runner for, for a very long time until I moved from Canberra to Sydney to start a bachelor's and, in, in architecture. And then I once I finished that, I started working. I did two years of, of work in architecture firms. And yeah, and, and during that period when I started working again, I had a lot a lot more free time and a lot more stability that I didn't have at uni and so I decided to take up running again. <laughs> and yeah, throughout that whole period that I had, you know, stopped being a runner, I was still sort of active and, and was running recreationally with friends and, and that sort of thing. But yeah, I made that choice around the age of probably sort of 21, 22 to join a group again and to take it a little bit more seriously to follow a proper training program. And I sort of fell in love with it again by this point during that sort of hiatus period. Oh, and aren't we glad you did? That is absolutely amazing. So in terms of, you know, bringing it back to mindfulness and, and mindset, how did you get your head back in the game to come back to running and find that love again? Yeah, I, I still struggled with the mental health sort of things and had a really down period around the age of 18 when in my first year of uni where I sort of had to confront a lot of my issues from from high school that that I had really just ignored I hadn't spoken to anyone about I hadn't spoken to my parents about and so sort of the summer between my first year of uni and my second year of uni, I just had a really, really bad patch back in Canberra and started seeing a psychologist for the first time. And yeah, it was a bit of a wake up call of like, I need to start addressing this because it's starting to just these sort of demons, I suppose, that I'd never really addressed in high school were really starting to, I don't know, stop me from doing the things that I wanted to do at uni. And it already had changed my relationship to sport and now it's sort of changing my relationship to other things. And so I, I spoke to my dad and he helped me see a psychologist for the first time. And so I spent uh, quite a few years seeing a psychologist. And so by, by the age of sort of 21, 22, I had a lot more of those management skills under my belt. And when I returned to running, it was really different. Like I was an adult. <laughs> I, I was very independent. I sort of approached it in a much more open-minded kind of way. And I wasn't a kid anymore. I didn't have those pressures and I just did it for me. And it was that amazing, you know, community and stability that we were speaking about before, just, 
you know, those friendships. And it was really, really positive for my mental health in general. Wow, that's amazing. And yeah, and so it's sort of, I moved to Melbourne in 2017 to do my master's in master's in architecture at the University of Melbourne. And I joined a, a elite group here in Melbourne, Peter Fortune's group. Happy um, Freeman's trainer. Yeah, so <laughs> it just sort of snowballed from there, I guess. I, I just became completely obsessed with, <laughs> with athletics and um, have met some really, really amazing people. And then in 2019, I had that breakout season, breaking the record, qualifying for the Olympics. And then, yeah, 2020, lockdown sort of, I, it was, that was a really hard year because I'd had that first year of that taste of what being a professional might be like. And then I was all ready to go in 2020 and then having to take the step back and, you know, be a student again rather than a runner. And <laughs> um, yes, yeah, it's, it's a, it's been a many years of adjusting to different versions, <laughs> different, different identities and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. And then, and then this year running my first Olympics, it's been, um, yeah, really interesting. Very unconventional sort of bit, a bit, a lot of chopping and changing. I, I think sort of the way that I'm describing it, you know, <laughs> my my inability to create a, a nice clean timeline, I think, sort of speaks to how how messy my whole running career has been in general. Yeah. But I think that's why it's so fascinating mm. but also powerful because, I mean, this is why before we get into mm. practical tips, I kind of labour over the details of how people got to where they got to because that's the bit everyone skates over. Wikipedia skates over that. Like other podcasts, the media, the like social media often skates over that stuff. But I think that's where the most important messages come out. Like even the fact that your mental mm. health improved so dramatically with a psychologist, even though so much of our worth is right, built yeah. up around like, I can do this myself, I don't need help, I can't reach out. Mm. And yet you always have had a coach as an athlete. So why wouldn't you need a mental coach? Like that's kind of the theme that's coming out for me. Even Olympians need a coach. Like no athlete would front up to the Olympics without someone coaching them. And also that it's possible mm -hmm. to have a passion for running at an Olympic elite level and have a, another career in architecture. Like you can have two yays in your life that don't really make sense together. And I don't think that people often don't think of Olympic athletes as having any other life because often they haven't, you know, they've got little <laughs> ads, nothing else in between running, yeah. running, and then Olympics and Olympics and Olympics. Mm. But yeah. I mean, your literal 43 year old record was broken after you being not an athlete for, for years. And that in itself is like such a reassuring message, not just in running, but for anyone in their life that you can come from taking a total break from one identity, getting your head right coming back to it and then smashing it like in a short <laughs> amount of time, you know, and I think that's amazing. You should be so proud of yourself. I'm so inspired. <laughs> uh, thank you. Yeah, and I love the way that you're framing it as well. Like I really push against this idea of, you know, I had this bad thing happen to me and then I overcame it. Like I really think that's a very simplistic narrative that, like, I think that I am successful now because of what happened to me, not in spite of it. Like, I think, you know, I've become really good at asking for help. I'm very open with, you know, what I've been through and it's made me really good at, you know, creating a strong support team, like with my physio, with my coach, with my psychologist, all that sort of thing. And, I think it's a huge advantage that I have over some of my competitors as well. Like, like you're saying, like the more conventional entry into elite sport is you're good as a kid, you're good as a teenager, you're as good as an adult. <laughs> like there's, there was that sort of smooth ride, but having it been so up and down and having to, yeah, learn to deal with these parts of myself or, or learn to sort of work with them yeah, I know myself really well. I have this grounding career in another field. Like I think all of these things has helped me be successful. And yeah, I, and I, and I love the idea of like reframing these sort of overcoming mental challenges. It's not good or bad. It's just sort of what I went through, if that makes sense. Like it's really, yeah, I, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm proud of it is what I mean to say. Mm. Yeah. 
I think that comes across really clearly as well. Like I've read so many of your articles and interviews on this whole process and so much of it has been around it's not sort of a fairy tale or a reality Mm. TV show where it was like, yay, and then, oh, dark period, and then, Mm. oh, look, in spite of that, I've recovered. It's just the the ups and downs of a normal life. Like that's how life usually goes. right, yeah. But also that the the big takeaway that I think I resonated the most with is that you've been able through this entire process to separate winning and things going exactly as you planned from your self-worth, whereas Mm -hmm. I think a lot of us, particularly before the pandemic, have been so tied up in like the view of our life that we expect and then when it doesn't go that way, our self-worth is so impacted because we've never conceived of another version of ourselves but Mm. you've been able to craft so many versions of yourself and, and have a really grounded sense of who you are regardless of whether you win the Olympics or not. You know, I think that's really beautiful that you're able to do that. Mm. Yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, what an incredible story. And I mean, you're back training again for the next world championships. Are you planning on going to Paris? Um, definitely. Yes. I think, oh. um, <laughs> I mean, I was pretty disappointed with my, with my run at Tokyo and, and it's been something that I'm still processing. I think, yeah, I went into the games with pretty high expectations and I think they were not unfounded. Like I was running very well and yeah, not, not making it past the first round was really, really hard for me. And yeah, like you were saying, just, yeah, it, it did make me question my self-worth and, you know, whether I deserve to be here and that sort of thing. But I think it's something that you, yeah, it's something that I'm processing and that I think it's an experience that'll make me a better athlete. And yeah, I think I have some unfinished business with the Olympics and I'm definitely excited about Paris and I'm excited about doing a games. that's not during a pandemic. That'd be really nice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. I I can imagine it would have been such a bizarre and strange experience, but I did Mm. hear that all the Australian athletes were the only nation who were like all the teammates came to cheer on the track yeah no it was fantastic yeah we had a big group come out I yeah I remember one of my probably my fondest memory of 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 the games was watching Peter Bowl run the 800 meters 800 meter final and (laughs) I was the one just crying like I couldn't stop (laughs) crying and I think people around me were starting to get a little bit like concerned whether I was okay (laughs) it was I just thought it was just such a beautiful and especially seeing his family as well back in Perth and yeah it it was a really really supportive environment all the Australians were great and we had our like everyone was jealous of our little coffee cart that we had because we like of course had to hire like our own baristas to obviously (laughs) that is so Australian so Australian (laughs) it was also really cool like because I was in Europe before the games and I was sort of traveling, I was traveling essentially on my own because of all the travel restrictions for support team and that sort of thing. And then to arrive in, in Tokyo and then be surrounded by all these familiar faces and the Australian accent. And, you know, we had a snack bar with like wheat bix and, you know, <laughs> like Milo and all these like Australian foods. It was like a little, yeah, it really felt like I was back in Australia for a couple of weeks and get that hit before I head back over to Europe to keep racing. Mm. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm sure that that I I really believe that everything happens for a reason. And also, like I've spoken to so many Olympians now and the overall message is it's no reflection on your self-worth. It's just who who performs the best on the Mm. day. Like the Olympics is such a a temporal one-time thing. Mm. Like the guy that I've mentioned it so many times now, but like the guy who won the speed racing because seven people fell over. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I think that even if it's not clear now, like that feeling that you have will fuel the fire for the next time Mm. in a way that in Paris – I I hope for you that you'll get there and be like, this is why that had to happen. Mm. I'm so excited to follow Mm. your journey Mm. from now until then. But I also think you have so much practical knowledge to share with us, particularly around when you have been away from running for a really long time, either for people who have been the same or who have never been in running like myself at the beginning. Mm. 
that very first, like, how do I build back up to distance? How do I even get, you know, a kilometer under my belt? I think it's so overwhelming when your body is just not conditioned for the activity that your mindset around like the fear of what if I can't do it Mm. or it actually hurts a little bit the first time, you know, because you've got to get your body back into it. Like how do you get your mindset right when you first came back to running? Mm. Did you have any kind of fear around it? And what advice do you have for anyone who's in that like got no muscle memory right now, Mm. just getting back into training? Yeah. I mean, it feels like a while ago now sort of getting back into running, but it wasn't that long ago. It was only, yeah, maybe five years ago, sort of making that commitment again to return to the sport. And it was tough. Like I remember I was training sort of on and off a little bit with a group around that time at, at the University of Sydney. And I was known as the really flaky athlete that would show up like half an hour late to training. I would miss, you know, weeks at a time and then I'd rock up again and be like, I'm back. (laughs) And I just was obviously, and I think I was very frustrating for my coach because I, he was, he was like, I think you're kind of talented, but you're extremely unreliable and obviously not committed to this. And it was really interesting sort of overcoming that sort of reputation as well that I had of being a bit flaky. And yeah, and I remember other athletes in the group, they were very skeptical (laughs) when I had decided to come back more seriously. And so that was pretty fun, you know, when I did have my breakout year. Being like, "Uh Uh (laughs) but anyway, that's besides the point. (laughs) So what I did, I, I, I just sort of sat down with my coach at that time and made that commitment to him and to myself that I was going to take it more seriously. And some reason I had it in my head that three weeks of commitment to going to every training session and yeah, and doing all this, all the runs that I had planned, like that was how I was going to build a habit because I was just, yeah, extremely all over the place. Like I didn't have, yeah, it had no routine. And so I committed for three weeks every day. I would do what was on my program. I'd have my rest day. I would go to training at that point. We were training at 6am at Centennial Park and I would go there before, before work. And yeah. And so I made that commitment to myself for that three weeks And, and yeah. And then I just realized when I sort of switch my brain off to that chatter of, you know, when you're waking up and you're like, oh, it's a bit cold. I don't really want to, I don't really want to go today. Like maybe I'll run in the afternoon instead. Or, but it was like, no, I already, I promised to myself I was going to do three weeks of this. And you're just like, no, you know, get out of bed. You just, you just physically move your body to the bike and then get to the, get to the track kind of thing. And it's kind of interesting reflecting on that because now as a, as a runner, and this is my livelihood, I don't really have it, like have that as much, like I am utterly obsessed with it. And I, you know, want, like I, I like freak out if I have a day off kind of thing, but I mean, I still have, those mornings where I'm lying in bed and it's freezing, especially in Melbourne. And I have like a, you know, 70 minute run planned and, and I just don't want to do it. But yeah, like I was saying before, having set up with some really great training partners and some good friends of mine, having set up that, that run with them. And I'm knowing that I'll be running with, with some of my really close friends. Like, you know, you get up and you go, cause you've made that a commitment and you got to be accountable mm. to it. So that's sort of how I did it. I, I don't know if I'd recommend everyone doing it. So being so hard <laughs> on themselves in that way, but I think it's taking it slow, making those like small, shorter term goals of like three weeks, you know, it's like, you know, sign up for a half marathon in you know, two months time and just take those little short-term goals, you know, you achieve that three week mark and then you might increase the training a little bit for another three weeks. And, and I guess, you know, not being afraid to say no and and have a bit of a break and, and know that you'll, you can come back to it when you're ready and, and it doesn't have to be perfect. And, 
I mean, mm. and like you were saying around the just the physical side of things when you're starting running can be really, really challenging. Like two weeks ago, coming out of hotel quarantine, like I spent two weeks completely sedentary, lying in bed, watching um, like sex education on Netflix. Like, and then my first <laughs> run back, literally flew into Melbourne, went for a half hour run, was like, this is great, like no problems. A couple hours later, just my foot hurts so much. Yeah. I was like, what is this? Like, I'm a, like, I literally just got back from the Olympics and I go for a half hour run. And <laughs> my foot blows up. It's just like swollen and painful. And so basically just my tendons weren't ready to be back running again after two weeks of nothing. So I sort of take my foot off the, the gas a little bit and, and slowly increase the training. And now it's been about three weeks and my foot's completely back to normal. Mm. And it was just, yeah, it's just like, no matter what level you got to take it slow, <laughs> you got to, you got to do like the day on day off or one of the biggest like sort of things that we do when we're sort of transitioning back is, you know, you do a run where it's like a, you know, three minute jog, two minute walk, or like a one minute jog, one minute walk kind of thing. And you just sort of, you know, do that for 20 minutes and then you can gradually, gradually increase it. And you're just kind of seeing how your body is responding and it gives you a little bit of time to see how things are going. And yeah, the amount of times that yeah, people make that mistake of just going all in immediately <laughs> and then they hurt themselves, or they get so sore. So yeah, be, be a little bit smart about it, I think. <laughs> I actually think that's why I didn't like running for so long was because I would go from nil as like mm -hmm. a corporate, I used to be a lawyer, and then I'd sign up for some corporate fun run. And then I'd just do like 5Ks from zero in the yeah. wrong shoes and then be like, why can I not move any parts of my body? Why is this the most painful thing ever? But it's because I never gave my body the chance to adapt. And mm. I love that you mentioned the word habit forming because mm. I think getting into running is habit forming. It's the same as any new habit and the pain that manifests as physical pain in terms of your body just adapting is the same as the emotional discomfort of other kinds of habits in your life when you're trying to change your behavior. Like you always, in any kind of area of change, you always face a little bit of discomfort, mm. but that's part of like growing into it. And so like just being okay that it might hurt a little because your body's adjusting. It's not meant to be like deathly painful, so don't go into it too hard, too yeah. fast. But I did a half marathon with Nike two years ago and for the first time ever, I literally went from zero, but for the first time ever with A, the right shoes, makes mm. an enormous difference, but B, taking six months to build up to it, like I – I actually got there and I, I couldn't believe that. But then I took a year off and then we're back for this one. And when I came back to running, I was like, you can't just go back to the paces and distances straight away that you used to be. I started back from three Ks and like the best runs I've done has been not looking at my times, not looking at my pace, just doing what my body can do on that day. Mm. And I found that's much more valuable than trying to like go out and run a certain pace mm -hmm. or do a certain distance, like rigidly sticking to the routine. Yeah. I remember once one of my friends described it as like letting the fitness come to you rather than sort of chasing after it or forcing it. Yeah. And it's that, it's that sort of patience thing of just committing to that program and it might feel weird at first. And it's like, you kind of restless, but it's like, yeah, it, it, you got to go slow. <laughs> <laughs> what about like one of the biggest questions we've had a lot of audience questions mm. and I was going to like give people shout outs for the questions but they've all been literally the same uh, the the biggest one has been getting from one stage like one particular distance whatever that may be that feels good and that you've kind of mastered but it can be easy to plateau there mm. and to not know how to kind of start increasing your distance or increasing your time and even though you know, your main event is 800. Mm. I know you you do a Sunday long run, you do go out for longer runs. How do you increase that pace or increase that time? I, mean, I know you mentioned the like stop, start, running and walking and then slowly filling like the walking gap getting shorter and mm. shorter. That's really helped me. Mm. What else can people try to sort of start pushing through new distances and time barriers? I think it's all about variety. Like we were saying, like as an 800 meter runner, I rarely run 800 meters. I don't think I, 
I don't think I've run 800 meters ever in, in training. <laughs> really? Yeah. It's, it's always combinations of shorter reps or longer reps. And yeah, and, and often we'll do like time trials and that sort of thing of maybe a 600 meters or a one K because you can just get really bored and you can get really stuck if you're just attempting the same thing over and over again. So we always keep it fresh and, 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 and change things up. And like, I do a lot of gym work as well. And a lot of cross training. I do mm. a lot of cycling and yeah, I'm, I'm in the gym twice a week and I, I do sprint trainings on a Monday as well. So doing a lot of, of drills, drills and plyometrics and speed work. And yeah, I, I found just you sort of have to build your skills in all these different areas and it just makes running more fun as well. So I think, I don't know if that perfectly answers the question. <laughs> getting no, to that next stage, it does. I think it, it really does come down to having that having that variety and, and keeping it fun and, and different and interesting and, and then sort of doing that for a little while and then returning to your main event. And, and Mm. so like, if you're doing for me for like 800s, like I'll only run an 800 in my race, whereas all my other training will be quite varied. And then, so you sort of do that very training and then you test yourself on the track again. So that could be something people can try. (laughs) So like if you're doing a 5K, maybe try do some hill runs, like find a a great hill near your house or something and do eight hill runs with a walk back and add that in once a week and that'll get get you fit. (laughs) (laughs) That'll that'll get you faster. Or do a really a much longer run as a challenge, like go to some really interesting – trail somewhere like there's some beautiful you know like the Dandenongs like some really or the Yuyangs like there's some really beautiful places around Australia and just like mix up the terrain maybe go for like a 90 minute I don't know 90 minutes is a long time go for a longish sort of walk <laughs> jog kind of thing and yeah and sort of push that endurance side of things and then come back to your pet event and have a go yeah yeah, I think the variety is something I didn't understand in the beginning. Like I would get to, it was such an enormous thing for me to get to 10Ks, like mm. coming from just absolutely despising running to really enjoying 10. But I hit this wall of like I was getting, I got it down to like five minute 30Ks, which for me was like, oh my God. <laughs> and then, but then I would just keep doing the same thing. Mm. And my husband was like, you're just doing the exact same run. You're not going to get further or faster by just like you're comfortable there, but unless you kind of push it in some direction or, or vary it with, yeah, like either a different texture of the ground or mm. like doing shorter speed work runs to get used to a new pace. And it took me ages to understand that repeating the same thing was not going to actually just mm-hmm. automatically, like you don't just automatically run a kilometer further every time you go out mm. and mixing it up and even doing like 3K much faster runs has Mm. then made my next 10k better Mm. which is so weird it seems really counterintuitive but it's been amazing to sort of mix it up that's right yeah and I I, I like what you're saying as well around like fixating on time and like we can get so bogged down with you know our Strava records and and stuff like that and yeah, just sort of switching the like when when you're mixing up the the different distances and the different types of training, like the watch becomes irrelevant and you're doing it more to feel and you can really test yourself because I I feel like sometimes like we put those sort of limits on ourselves. Like if you're like, okay, five five minute thirty is pushing it, I, mean, I can't go any faster than that because you know that's my limit. But if you just yeah and sort of just like readjusting and playing around with those different mm. those different time barriers or removing the time barriers altogether you sort of like freeing yourself a lot yeah and that's i think comes back to the theme of mindfulness that you're not necessarily mindfully running and being in touch with how your body actually feels if you're constantly like looking at your pace and changing it up based on an unrealistic expectation, not unrealistic, but just a rigid expectation. Because mm. I've found like different times of day, I find like faster paces easier than mm. I would on a different day. It's just, you've got to really pay attention to your body. And I've also found that I think you have to do so much physical conditioning, obviously, particularly when you start to get up to half marathons and marathon distances. 
But I think my brain Mm -hmm. gives up way before my body would give up, which is why mindset is so important. So when you're on your like Sunday long run, for example, being a shorter distance runner and maybe not loving the long distances as much, what do you do to kind of like when you hit a distance that starts to feel really hard or really boring or just really, I don't want to be here anymore, but I've got a while to go. What goes through your head? Like how do you get your mindset right? Do you distract it with music? Do you like, how do you kind of get through those just plateaus in the run where you're like, ugh. (laughs) (laughs) That's the technical term for the emotion also. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And uh, yeah, I mean, I love that you're asking this as well because like professional athletes, like we have the exact same mental blocks as anyone else. And I think I've done a lot of work with a sports psychologist around this sort of thing and around mindset. And I think one of the big things that we've worked on is sort of purpose and intention and, you know, setting that intention before a run of like, you know, this is the pace that I want to hit and this is going to be a personal challenge to myself and it's going to be really hard and sort of sticking to that commitment that you made at the start of the run, it makes it a lot easier to push through the pain. I think like, I think the runs where I've said to myself, Oh, you know, we'll see how it goes. I'm not sure how I want to, you know, I'm not sure what I want out of this, or I don't really know. Or like, like, especially races that I've done where I've just, you know, have been a bit, you know, well, we'll see how it goes. Like I haven't committed or set an intention before the race. They're always my worst races. Like they, because I get distracted, I, I get distracted by other athletes. I get distracted by my own feelings. So having that intention and sort of attaching that intention to a long-term goal as well, if it's like, I want to run a half marathon and if I want to get to that 21 Ks, I've got to be able to get to this 15 K, you know, long run. And I'm going to commit to that because this is part of my, my journey to, to what I want. A lot of it is habit as well. Like, you know, it's not glamorous. It's like, you got to practice being in pain. You have to practice being Mm. uncomfortable. I think that's why like we train, it's like getting used to that discomfort and being familiar with it and recognizing it and, and not being afraid of it. Cause I think a lot of the time it's not the physical pain itself. It's that sort of fear of like, Oh no, am I going to be able to keep this? Like, what does this mean? Like, should, does this mean I need to pull back? Like a lot of it's just learning to sit with a bit of discomfort and just accepting it and just being okay with, with, with sitting in it for a while. And I can't really, <laughs> think that's about it. <laughs> no, I think that's so such, such good advice. And I've also found that particularly when you're a brand newbie to anyone listening, often, like I mentioned, like your head will give up before your body mm. does because you're overthinking it too much. And the Nike running app is so good for that mm. because there are guided apps, which I don't need anymore, but I find like you only need something as long as you need it. Mm. And then you progress to the next stage. But there are literal runs called the, I don't want to run run (laughs) where someone will be in your ear reminding Mm. you that when you have that, they're like, like a buddy. Mm. If you don't have a running buddy, it's someone who will literally say in your ear, you're going to probably start to like feel a little bit sore around now. Mm. That's really normal. You're going to want to talk yourself out of it. Mm. And there's someone in your ear going, but you shouldn't because that's normal. And Mm. then you keep going and you're doing great and like to have someone guide you through that like training wheels until you don't need it anymore and then you move on to music and then you move on to like whatever it is now running with friends because you can talk once you get more Mm. experienced in running I think it's Mm. in each chapter you might need different things to get your head through it rather than your body yeah and then of course, also the physical pain. Like I was experiencing a lot of physical pain by choosing the wrong shoes mm. and having the wrong gear. So that's something that's also helped enormously. Like there is a difference between like when you walk into Nike or Rebel, there's a reason why there's so many different kinds of shoes because they're all for different things. And like you can't wear a street fashion shoe for a 21 kilometer run. Who knew? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's it. Yeah. What about your warm-ups and warm-downs? Again, I think that's something we're all very impatient. When you want to get out on a run, you just want to go before mm-hmm. you can talk yourself out of it. And then when you finish, you're like too self-congratulatory to like bother with your warm-down, but that makes a huge difference. How do you warm up and warm-down? Yeah, I have a very you know set warm-up, warm-down routine. And 
It is definitely one of those things if we're talking about mindset, it is really, really helpful of getting me in the right headspace for a race. Like for my pre-race warm up, I'll do a like a 12 minute jog, put in my music. I have my like playlist. <laughs> like my current obsession is like Mo Farah. He like created a playlist for Nike. I love yeah. Mo. Yeah, yeah. And it's like dirty UK rap. Like <laughs> it's really, it's. I'm like, I'm, I'm so glad I'm wearing headphones. If anyone listened to this, I think I'm so lame. So I'll, I'll listen to that and do my, my jog. And then I'll have the drills that I go through and And then I'll do a few faster runs just to get my legs turning over and just to start getting familiar with the pace that I'm going to be running. And it's just amazing. Like the nerves, sometimes the nerves before a race, I'll be just so uncomfortable, like the four hours or whatever it is before the race. And just going through that warm-up routine, having that like like we were saying about that habit, that sort of stability, this this thing where you can just turn that chatter off and just go through this planned, you know, sequence of events, like and then getting that physical relaxation, you know, you start to mm. release some of that nervous energy into that warm up and so it's not just like that physical body warming up. It's like, you know, your, your mind getting, getting a little bit of that nervous energy out of the way so you can have a bit more focus and clarity. And yeah, the warm up is so important just for all those different reasons and having that routine before the race. Yeah. And then, and then the warm down, like it's just like a really nice moment to yeah reflect on what you, what you've done. And I think it's one of those things that, we, we definitely do. <laughs> um, it was the first thing to go if we're tired and we're like, oh, I just want to go home. <laughs> but it is really, really important for like injury prevention. And I distinctly remember this time where I hadn't warmed down properly after a race. I think I was in high school, like, and I just got straight in the car and we're driving home and I just had to say to my dad, I'm like, pull over, pull over. And I just open the car door and I just vomit all over the ground <laughs> on the side of the road. Cause I hadn't warmed down properly. I had all this lactic acid in my body and I just, that, that moment just scarred me of like, you really got to warm down. <laughs> you really just got to give your body a bit of time to just transition into being sedentary again. And I mean, I often, I'm notorious for the slow warm down. I always like, I feel like the faster I get on the track, the, the slower I get in my sort of warm downs. And so I'll do a couple of laps where I might walk with my coach or walk with my training partner and we'll just have a chat about whatever. And then I'll sort of build up the pace a little bit and then I'll just jog for another, you know, 10 minutes and, and yeah, and then grab my stuff and go home and, and it's just part of that wind down. That's so important. It's, and I think also with a shorter distance because your lactic acid is like you're, you're sprinting. So you're, you actually could vomit at the end. Like yeah. Nick, if he, if he doesn't vomit, he's like, I didn't do well enough today. I'm like, <laughs> I don't even understand that mentality, but, mm. but I think your distance is such an acute example of why it is important. Like your body literally freaks out if you don't wind down. And when the first time I heard about a wind down, I was like, what do you, what do you mean? Like warm, warming down? Like I don't even understand what that means. Yeah, it's funny that we call it a warm down as well. It's like it should be a cool down. Like, <laughs> but I guess it is a warm down as well because you're moving anyway. Like all, everyone has a different name for it. <laughs> yeah. But when I first heard of it, I was like, why? Like I get that you need to warm your muscles up, but at the end they're already warm. So like what do you – what's the – I don't get it. Mm. But the first time I ever did even what, like, I think it was 4K, which, you know, isn't that far. But I mean, it was for me, but, you know, Mm. wasn't enormous or anything. And I didn't warm down. Like the recovery is so Mm. different. And like, even just as small as not jumping in the car straight away and just walking like a hundred meters slowly or something to not go straight from like, mass exertion to zero Mm. I can't actually believe how important it is but how much it's not really a thing when you're not a professional like do you guys of course you would warm down after every race but I think the average layperson going for a jog around the tan or something is not going to think oh I should probably warm down all the way you know they're not going to do another lap to warm down but Mm. I think if they did recovery would be so much faster Mm. yeah because you're just talking about active recovery right it's just like yeah moving your body like it's not 
recovery isn't just about sitting down or lying down and, and doing nothing. It's, it's just like letting your muscles. Yeah. Just, I, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm an architect. I don't have a medical degree. I don't know how to describe <laughs> what, what the, what physiological changes are happening during the warm down. I think you should talk to one of the other Nike athletes about that, but <laughs> from anecdotally, I mean, even strength training and that sort of stuff is part of that, that recovery and that, you know, because the recovery is just all about that adaptation and letting your muscles grow and recover and then get stronger for the next, for your next race, for your next run. Mm. And that's a really good point as well. Someone else asked the question, how do you increase your speed and distance without getting injured? And it's interesting that you do strength work in the gym twice a week, because I think, again, people assume that the more you run, the more strong you'll get for running, which of course, to an extent, happens but if you're not also building muscle mass around your joints and like Mm. even yoga Mm. I think as a cross training gives you like endurance strength and all those little stabilizer muscles around your like ankles and stuff you know there are other ways to build strength that and avoid injury that aren't just run like keep doing more running (laughs) that's right that's right yeah and, and I think like I keep stressing this but it's like run with other people run with new people run with different groups get a psych get someone on a bike with you just like like there's a reason that professional athletes don't like we run in groups you know it's because we're you know there's that little bit of competitiveness as well like if you're meeting up with you know one of your friends and you know you want to beat them (laughs) like it's healthy it's very and it's fun like just adding in that little bit of fun competition and and that sort of stuff can really really yeah increase the quality of your training and and mix it up and yeah there's there's all these different different ways to yeah make it more exciting and and then that you'll have direct yeah performance benefits from that coming out of that amazing well I've learned so much from you I feel like my running is going to improve so much (laughs) after this (laughs) very last question for you before we finish up what is your favorite quote this is a really hard question I have a lot of really favorite um, I a lot of favorite quotes I so the one that I chose this one I so I listened to my favorite podcast is called the Anthropocene Reviewed and it's by John Green so John Green you know he's that YA author with like Fault in Our Stars and that sort of thing but I'm obsessed with him (laughs) I'm just his biggest fan but he has a (laughs) podcast and yeah he he in this one he talks about the illustrator Maurice Sendak he's the he wrote Where the Wild Things Are um, (gasps) the picture book author yeah and and so he was talking about this this author's his his final interview before at the end of his life this was the last interview we ever gave before he, before before he died and yeah and and he was talking on this radio show and he, and he said i cry a lot because i miss people i cry a lot because they die and i can't stop them they leave me and i love them more and then he says i'm i'm finding out as i'm aging that i'm in love with the world and I just, yeah, I get a little bit teary thinking about this quote, but I, I love, you know, sort of thinking back on my career as an athlete and how I'm not afraid of getting older. I, I love aging because I feel like I'm, you know, coming into the, all these new versions of myself and I'm excited to see what comes next. And like, I think, yeah, things were really hard for me when I was sort of, uh, yeah, late teens and early twenties and, and I'm, and I'm finding as I'm getting older, yeah, I'm, I'm finding that I'm falling more and more in love with the world. And, and, and I think it's, it's not, and, and I feel for me, like loving the world isn't, you know, ignoring suffering or, you know, putting my head in the sand and, and ignoring the sort of problems in the world. It's, it's sort of, it's all about sort of gratitude and, and being grateful and, and aware of all these gifts that we have. And, like I feel like the older I get, the more moved I am by like little things like, you know, conversations or, you know, I'm that really annoying person who will stop mid conversation and point out like a lizard on the ground <laughs> and get everyone to come and look at the lizard. Cause how cool is this lizard? And, <laughs> and yeah, so that, that quote really spoke to me, I think about, 
just enjoying the journey and the process and like you know, I had a tough time at the Olympics, but how cool was it that I got to go to the Olympics in the middle of a pandemic kind of thing? And and the amount of times I was there and, you know, just cried because I was so, like, moved by this whole spectacle and how amazing, you know, how amazing that we've been able to put on this event and how amazing, you know, professional sport is for getting people to come together and, and celebrating and yeah, so I, I, I love that. <laughs> so. Oh, my gosh. I have goosebumps all <laughs> over my body. That is the most beautiful answer. That resonates with me so much. I fall more and more in love with the world and humanity as well every year, and I feel like I cry a lot more. Like I'm happier, <laughs> but I'm crying all the time, <laughs> but joy oh crying. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh, what a beautiful way to finish, Katrina. This was absolutely wonderful. I am so especially after that quote. So, so <laughs> excited to see what comes next for you. And I'm sure all of us will be watching you in awe and moved by everything that you do. No, thank you. No, thank you so much for, for talking to me. I hope I hope people got some good tips. <laughs> oh, I, I'm sure they did. I got so many. I was like, yeah. I'm glad we're recording so that I'm not having to write everything down. <laughs> well, and it also like whenever I see, like in terms of like, you know, noticing the small things, whenever I see just any anyone running like just going for a run I'm just like good for them like this is like I just I just love it like <laughs> so you were that weird lady the other day crying when I ran past yeah, you yeah me just clapping you know like good for you like <laughs> <laughs> amazing well if anyone feels like on the day of the Melbourne Marathon you need a cheer squad yeah, or exactly. someone who's going to be crying at the side of the road moved by your effort just yeah. call Katrina <laughs> that's right exactly <laughs> In true CZA fashion, I loved that Katrina kicked us off with a non-linear pathway into, out of, and back into running again, as do our next two guests, in fact, in their own way. Even if you're a much longer distance runner, I learned so much from this chat. And as we build through the series, we also hear from athletes from different distances, culminating in a full marathoner in episode three. If you enjoyed, as always, we'd so love to hear from you. So please shower Katrina with love or tag us in your own run at Katrina Bissett at Nike Running and at Rebel Sport. If you have any further questions, just let me know and I can pass them on. Otherwise, be back next week for more.